Well, this evening we will continue our study of the first epistle of Peter. And if you need a Bible, just go ahead and let Bud know, and he would be happy to get you one. I think Peter was a man's man. He was a fisherman. It's not easy work. It's not easy work with today's technology. Certainly was not any easier then. And church history has that he was a man of rather impressive stature. He was a big guy. He became somewhat of a leader and a spokesman of the apostles. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts, when all the apostles are listed, it's Peter's name that's listed first. And I want to rewind to John when he came and met Jesus. It says, one of the two who heard John speak, this is John 1, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him, Jesus, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon Peter to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Now, I think Peter was a pretty bold guy, full of fire. He didn't lack for excitement. You see, when Andrew said, we have found the Messiah, I have no doubt that what Peter heard, like many Jews of that time, was a Messiah that was going to come and liberate them from the, the Roman oppression. And so Peter heard, all right, we found the Messiah. It's time to kick butt and chew bubblegum, and I'm all out of bubblegum. We see other examples of his boldness when he walked on water. We are all the disciples in the boat, and he's the one that said, hey, Jesus, if, if you tell me to get on the water and walk, I'll do it. And he did. Simon Peter was the one who first proclaimed Jesus as the Christ. We see that it says, Simon Peter answered the question, who do you say that I am? When they were speaking with Jesus. And he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So he's feeling pretty good. He got a couple pats on the back from Jesus. He's assumed a position of leadership or at least serves as a leader. Jesus practically calls him the rock. Like Dwayne Johnson. Okay, he's a guy that used to be a... Never mind. We see it also takes a certain amount of boldness when Peter rebuked Jesus. Jesus speaking of the death that he would suffer on the cross. Then Peter took him aside. Can you imagine that? That's bold. Jesus com 
Come here, man. I, I got to talk to you real quick about this. And he began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. I'm sure he's still got these visions of, man, I don't know how Jesus is going to play it out, but he's the Messiah, and I know what the Messiah is going to do, and we still don't have any bubble gum, so I'm ready to get started. He was bold in the garden when they came to arrest Jesus, and he was the one, Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And he was even bold or fiery in his character when he denied the Lord. And he was a man of passion. In Matthew 26, it says, A little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. So whether he was for Jesus getting on the water or denying Jesus, he did it with a bit of boldness. And then he saw Christ go to the cross. He saw Christ go to the cross, and I have no doubt that what he witnessed left a lasting impression on, on him and, and shaped who the Lord was making him to be. Someone so bold in character would then center his first epistle around a seemingly not so bold subject of submission. And it's not to say that after the cross, Peter lost his boldness. Not at all. He was an absolute powerhouse at Pentecost. We see him being tremendously bold. I read some of the, the sermons he gave in Acts 2 and Acts 3. Men of Israel... Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. You saw this. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and crucified and put to death whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. It takes a little bit of bravery 40, 50 days after the crucifixion to look at the crowd at Pentecost and say, you, all of you that saw this, you were the ones that sent Jesus to the cross. The next day they were at the temple and having just healed the lame man, people began to gather around him and Peter again. Amazing boldness. So when the people began to crowd around them and Peter saw it, he responded to the people. Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this, this man which they had healed? Or why look so intently at us that though by our power or godliness we had made this man walk? 
The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate. When he was determined to let him go, but you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for the life of a murderer to be granted to you. You killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. So Peter by no means is weak in spirit. Peter is still as bold as ever, but he devotes this center section of his letter to submission. And I think it's important that we hold the person of Peter in our minds as we read about the submission that the Holy Spirit, through his writing, calls us to come under. Because a lot of times we think that submission is a bad word. Some people shudder and cringe at some of the verses that I'll read tonight. Some of the verses I'll read this evening have made many enemies and classified the Bible as out of step. But here's Peter, a guy who, even though he was bold to step out on the water, became afraid and sank. The guy like Peter that was bold enough to proclaim Jesus as the Christ then tells him not to go to the cross, and Jesus calls him Satan himself. A guy like Peter, who in defending Jesus, cuts off Malchus's ear, only to have the Lord grab his ear, put it back on Malchus, and say, Put your sword into your sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my Father has given me? So in these verses that we read this evening, Peter is no less bold. But when we look at the concept of submission, it's not a lack of being bold. It's being bold for the right things in the right order. Submission is to come under, sub, some other mission, someone else's mission. Ultimately, that's God's mission. And we're going to see how a number of different relationships and circumstances play into that. Last week, we touched on submission to the government. And we won't revisit that, but the long story short is when it comes to our place as those that are desiring to submit their lives to Christ. When it comes to the government, the Lord says, and he says through Peter, God is bigger. God will use the government, good, bad, or indifferent. So preserve your witness. Be good citizens. God doesn't come to save nations. He, come to, he comes to save individuals. Jesus didn't die for nations. Jesus is... The, the, the stone cut without hands in Daniel 2 that will come down and sweep away the feet of that statue 
and turn the nations that we understand now into dust, only to then build up the mountain of his kingdom. So then we turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we read in verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, because if of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. Now, of course, he is talking about your boss. We have lost the connection in our economy of the day. As employees in one form or another, we might not consider ourselves slaves, but many of those that had come to Christ during the early church were in the lower rungs of society. The word used here for slaves is, is a household slave. It says, well, now that you desire to give your life to the Lord, what does that mean with respect to your position within this master's household? To you and me, what does that mean with, the, with respect to our position in our workplaces, in our classrooms? It's not easy to be a Christian in the workplace. I think that's true for a number of reasons. It's true for much of the same reasons that it was difficult to be a Christian to, to those to whom Peter writes. Because many of their masters would take out aggression upon them because they would not join in the same revelries in the idol worship. For us today... It's difficult to be Christians in the workplace sometimes because of just the, the opposition of our bosses. Hopefully, we will, it will be evident that we are Christians that will be made known and people will hold that against us. But I think oftentimes it can be hard to be a Christian in the workplace because when we are serving as members of the economy, the goals are different. Companies, for-profit companies, are in the business of doing just that, making profit. Whether it's sales or manufacturing, sometimes the most Lucrative, the most profitable way to go about things might not be the most honest, the most forthright, the most ethical. So by virtue of our conscience not allowing us to do that, we're getting in the way of others making money. So it's difficult to be Christians within the workplace but there's a bigger concept here. This concept of suffering wrongly. Because that extends so 
far beyond the places of our employment, so far beyond what we do for a living, how we make ends meet. We could be retired. We could be independently wealthy. We could hit the lotto. Don't play the lotto. But this concept of suffering wrongly still exists. I think some of the hardest mistakes or some of the hardest things for us to forgive are not mistakes, but deliberate mistreatment. I think sometimes we get hung up on right and wrong as if that's the only relevant fact. But the Lord says here that suffering wrongly, suffering a wrong, doing so patiently is commendable before God. Commendable before God is an is a interesting phrase, and I think one of the best ways I heard it rendered is, Doing this would, would cause God to pay you a compliment. That's a, that, that's a weird thought. But oftentimes we say, you know, like we want to come before the Lord Jesus and hear, well done, good and faithful servant, right? That's like the, the ultimate overarching, that's what we want to hear. But when, when we are suffering wrongly, for not something that we've done, when we are suffering for doing good, and when we endure that patiently, that's like the Lord giving us a pat on the back. I don't know how else to put it. He sees it. He sees the suffering. There will be no reward for us in the present moment. But when the Lord looks down on that behavior, He is... He's pleased. He would say, that, that's, that's what you're called to. I reach down and pat you on the back. We continue in verse 21 and 23 and we see why. It says, for to this, suffering wrongly, you were called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. That's one of the ultimate pictures of submission. He committed himself to him who judges rightly. See, we can't talk about submission without also acknowledging that Jesus submitted to God the Father. Jesus was in submission to God the Father in the same way that we are called to be in submission to Jesus, in the same way that we are called to be in submission to the government and to our masters and wives to their husband and children to their parents. But Jesus has set the example, but yet it still wars with what's inside of us, 
What, what profit is it for me to be berated and punished and, and attacked for no good reason because this person has just decided not to like me? Or because this person or individual or this group or this community has decided to make me the butt of all the jokes, to make me the scapegoat, to make me the pariah. What, what, what good comes of that, Lord? I, I, I wish I could answer that question. But all I can do is, 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 is plead clearly what Peter says here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that, that says, well, look at what Jesus did. Look at what Jesus did and take that as an example. Now, if we play that through, if we play that through, we, we would stop to ask ourselves, so why, let me rewind. When we look at the example of Christ, specifically at the cross. This was not the only instance of when he did not revile. This was not the only instance in which he did not threaten in, in the face of, uh, he did not respond with, with revenge, revenge in the face of threats. But it's a really compressed, uh, exemplified, it's a different E word, um, exaggerated, thank you. It's a really compressed, exaggerated picture of who he was as fully God, fully man, and this is the example that we are called to follow. Okay, understand that. What Jesus endured up to the cross and through that suffering was not the only instance of this sort of submission and, and, and patiently enduring wrong suffering. But it serves as a great example for us to focus on. It probably all started in the garden. When he was praying and, and, and what did he pray to the Father? Lord, if there's another way, <laughs> not my will, but, but yours. So Jesus had decided to submit to God the Father, knowing that everything about it, everything about it was going to be terrible. There, there was no fruit from his perspective in this timeline in that experience. But on the other side of operating in obedience, in submission to the Lord, there was the church. There was you and me. There was unquantifiable riches and blessing and literally the reason why we are here today. And so then we look at that example and it's not necessarily one of understanding 
Why? Because if you have a boss that's terrible to you, we'll see maybe even if you have a husband that is a non-believer that is terrible to you, if you have a wife that is disobedient to the Lord and, and, and creates chaos within your home, you're, you're to submit to God's will. If the government is, is really ruining your plans as a Christian, you're to submit to the government. Why? But that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. Imagine how much good we could do if we straightened this stuff out. There was no... I, I can't make sense of it. Except that God says, see my son as the example and walk in that example. Now, hopefully, your marriage is not like being crucified. So let's move on to chapter 3. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. Okay, so maybe this gives us part of an answer as to the beauty of submission. We've all thrown around the phrase that actions speak louder than words. And, and, and God gives credence to that here. That the way we live our lives is so powerful. The, the character and the content of our conduct is so impactful That in this example, it could bring a husband who does not know to the Lord to, to, to faith. It is impossible. I, I, I can't imagine how difficult it is to be in a divided marriage. I've spoken to people on both sides. And it just breaks my heart. Because it wars against what God has created and what is good. But God, in the same way that much of Jesus' example, was not pleasant or beneficial to him in this time, in this life. Causes me to search the word for the truth of God's comfort and encouragement and faithfulness in those situations. If you know anyone who is in a marriage with an unbelieving spouse. Pray for the unbelieving spouse, but pray for the believer. 
tremendously difficult, painful. But like everything else that's tremendously difficult and painful, the Lord will meet us in it. The Lord will not waste because our God is a God of redemption. And even the worst situations, He can work to His glory. And sometimes we forget, and I think that's the beauty of this example, that we might not get to see that glory on this side of heaven. We, we read that and we say, okay, so if a, wife, if, if a wife is submissive to an unbelieving husband, if she does it right, long enough, well enough, he's going to be saved. Maybe not. I'm sure oftentimes not. It says that he may. It doesn't change what the wife is, is called to do. But God honors people's free will. I can't sit here and say, you know, how, 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 how terrible that, that, that God would take a woman who's, who's, who's come to know the Lord and, and have her in that, that situation. Now, I do have to say this by no means, this, this has a giant asterisk of if, if things become physically violent or if someone is being injured, help needs to be sought. But it's not just submitting to your husband for the sake of submitting to your husband. It's submission to the Lord and all those things, and that makes sense when we look at verse 3. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God, for in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. There's what men think they want. There's what women think men want. And then there's what God says is precious. And this is not saying that ladies, and, and, and in this day, this, this verse 3, this word applies just as much to men. shouldn't be bothered at all with outward appearance, shouldn't do their hair or wear jewelry, but it's a matter of priority and importance because it's, 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 it's our flesh that wants out of the situation that, that can't possibly wrap our head around how just suffering wrongly, being in submission to, in the worst case scenario, 
in an unloving, unbelieving, unkind spouse. Maybe if, maybe if I were prettier, maybe if I did this or if I did that. See, we do the things that we think will make a situation better, and this is, goes far beyond marriage. But then God says, I know you think that will make this situation better. But that's not what is important. And I want to tie that back to how Peter, in his boldness, early on in his walk with Jesus, he did not become less bold, but he stopped being bold about the wrong things. As Jesus' ministry unfolded, Peter had this realization that, hey, this was not the Messiah I signed up for. They're really going to kill this guy. And he denied him three times. He was ashamed. He was afraid. He, he didn't want to be associated with what was, was playing out. Because I really do believe he was just waiting for this, the, the script to flip. And they were all going to grab their swords and, and the Messiah that the Jews were anticipating would arrive and he was going to be right there cutting everybody's ear off. Because we still don't have any bubble gum. But then he sees Jesus suffer at the cross. And he sees that suffering which he thought was failure, which he thought was the end of everything that he had hoped for. It was like watching his dreams die. But he got to see it all the way through. And he was there at Pentecost. And he got to see... That, that Jesus' way was superior. That he was aiming for all the wrong objectives. And when he was bold enough to rebuke Jesus, you can't go to the cross. Why? Because he was trying to do things his way. And God had a way. In our marriages... We have a way. We all have a way. Husbands have a way and wife have a way. Wives have a way. And we see that all of those ways are inferior to Jesus' way. Even though the more I think about it, the less sense that it makes. Because the more I think about it, the more I reflect on Peter's words here, the more my mind and my heart and my thoughts are drawn to this eternal reality that we will receive but have not presently inherited. We have a living hope. We have hope in this. But it's not yet seen. We have not taken a hold of our inheritance which is reserved for us in heaven. The more I look into the lives that Peter calls us to live, 
the more confounded I am by how wrapped up with this existence we've become. Verse 7, speaking to husbands, it says, Husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Two exhortations to husbands. If his exhortations to the wife were to submit to your husband and make sure the things that are important to you are the things that are important to me. Let's not worry about the outside. Let's worry about the inside. His exhortations to husbands are to dwell with your wife with two things, understanding and honor. Ladies, do you ever wish that your husbands or any man understood you better? Do you ever feel misunderstood? Sometimes I don't understand my wife. Sometimes I do. But the other times... But look at what Peter calls husbands to do. Here he has just exhorted wives to come under their husband's authority. And the other hand of that is he says, but husbands, in order to do this well, you need to understand your wives. You need to know where they're coming from. Because if they're going to do what you say, then you better darn well understand their perspective before you say what you're doing. Otherwise, there will be no unity. I like the way Ephesians 5 puts it. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves himself, he who loves his wife loves himself. Generally speaking, as men, we know what we want to do and why we want to do it. Even if it's a bad plan, we have a plan and we know why it's the plan. And we can often expect people just to get on board with our plan. And a submissive woman would. But Peter says, husbands... Live in your wife's shoes. Dwell with them. Understand why they are thinking and feeling and desiring the things that, that they are, the way that they're coming from. Because when it says honor the wife as the weaker vessel, it's, 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 it's referring to, to, to physical and emotional. By, by no means is this classifying women or wives in any way inferior. Not in any way inferior. And we see that because he then caps it off by, by, by reminding you that God looks at both of you exactly the same. 
as being heirs together of the grace of life. Physically speaking, women have a tendency to have different capabilities than men, the average men and the average women. And that's becoming more true now than, than, than ever with the, the LGBT things that are going on in sports. If you don't think there's a difference between the male and the female body, Google some collegiate female swimmers. Emotionally, women have a tendency, God has designed them to be more attuned to those things. You think about a mother's love versus a father's love. This is the best way that I can articulate it. And that's not... a bad thing because the Lord has called husbands and wives together to be one flesh and 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 here Peter is saying I've I've called you two together and I've I've asked her to submit to you but husbands you have got to understand her and you need to honor her you need to give her consideration to to honor her, take, take care of her, understand everything top to bottom, inside and out, and then respond accordingly. Chuck Missler put it this way. Well, the weaker sex is really the stronger sex because the stronger sex is made weak by the weaker sex. That's on Facebook if you need to listen to it three more times. <laughs> Any of you who are married know exactly what I mean. We should be tender. We should lead. But with understanding and with partnership. And God says, that's my way. It's my way in the home. It's my way in the workplace. It's my way within the larger society as a nation. If you have a good government, good, submit. Bad government, submit. Good husband, submit. Bad husband, submit. Obedient wife, cherish her. Understand. Love her like Christ loves the church. Husbands, submit to me as you steward your family. Wife that makes your days really hard and really complicated. I, I have to make sure I don't look at anyone when I say that. <laughs> Submit. Because the picture that comes to mind 
if we go back up just a, just a little bit to verse 24 of chapter 2. It says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseers of your souls. We would define righteousness now as morality and, and justice. But I think that's such an incomplete shade of the righteousness that God portrays. When we talk about righteousness, I think it would be in accord with everything that is good and right, and, and that cannot be boiled down to morality or justice, but the things that are good according to God is that which is right. So to do things God's way would be righteous. You follow? It says you've, you've died to sin. You've put all that behind you. That, that, that you could live for righteousness. That doesn't make sense like, I took care of your sin on the cross so that you could be really moral and really just. That's, that's not the picture we see in Scripture. Those are the effects. Morality and justice are the effects of pursuing God with everything. Because it says, for you were like sheep going astray. You were just headed in the wrong direction. But have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And so here when we think about submission, Whatever the, con whatever the context, Jesus submitting to the Father, all of the church submitting to Christ, wives submitting to their husband, children submitting to their parents. We have to set aside the things that we thought were important. Because just like Peter signed up for one thing, he signed up for one Jesus and then watched it play out and said, Oh, this is not what I had in mind. But then everything played out. And so now this bold, bold man, is happy. just give it up. Just submit. I'm all for kicking butt and taking names. I'm all for cutting people's ear off. But that's not what's important. Just submit. Trust God with it. If God gives you a bad husband, he's not surprised. He's still in control. If God gives you a bad government, he's not surprised. He's still in control. If God gives you an unruly wife, that's fine. Love her like Christ loves the church. This life, this whole existence that you're living is like a drop in the bucket. Hold on to eternity. Hold on to eternity and pull that down into where you're living. Everything that you think is important, it's not important. Just submit. It's all under God's, just be obedient. It's not that big a deal. God's working. I saw my Messiah crucified, and it turned out to be great in the long run. Lord, give us eyes. Give us eyes to see clearly. I, I, I can wrestle with the thoughts, but, but I, can only, I can only ask that, that you would search our hearts.
that you would search our minds. Lord, show us the, the things that we've built up, the assumptions that we've made about what, what life is supposed to be, what things are supposed to be important. As, as, as we redefine what the government means to us, as we redefine what, what our, our workplaces and our boss means to us, as we redefine our, our relationships with our spouses all in view of what you endured at the cross, suffering wrongly, patiently, enduring, just getting whipped and kicked and spit on because God said so. And you trusted that. Lord, that's an impossible example for us to comprehend. But Lord, we trust that your word is good. We trust that you are good. And the same Holy Spirit that was with you is, is in us. Lord, fill us with that spirit and allow us to just live radically different lives of, of being so focused on you that we wouldn't even be distracted by suffering wrongly, by submitting to right or wrong authority, whether they're being just or unjust. Father God, you are our Lord and our Lord alone. And show us what that looks like in each and every area of our lives. We pray for your strength. And we thank you so much for your son in whose name we pray.